gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to the inaugural pilot episode of the new John Boy Media podcast, The Shea Station. If you haven't guessed already, this is a Mets-centered podcast filled with series recaps, player discussions, and pretty much anything you can imagine relating to the orange and blue. My name's Jack. You might know me from YouTube as Jolly Olive, but it's okay if you don't, if we're meeting for the first time. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Joining me today and every episode of this show will be my very, very special co-host. He's an MLB veteran of 13 years, including some time with the New York Mets, the left-handed reliever, and absolute legend, Jerry Blevins. Jerry, how you doing today, my man? I'm great, Jolly. You 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 give me so much hype for these intros, man. I feel I like I'm it. running out of the bullpen, ready to slide into the mounds, old school style. Hell yeah. Dude. I'm excited. I am Jerry Blevins. You may know me as Jerry Blevins, uh, just the guy, the lefty, the loogie. Um, <laughs> the loogie, I like that. I have no YouTube fame. I, I don't come with anything except for some MLB experience and these good looks, so we're yeah, good. Man. I mean, the show-stopping looks are real. Like, you were an MLB pitcher, but most people know you for your looks, I feel like. That's true. That's usually how yep, it goes. Yep. That's how I get there. Like, man, you should really be a model. Yeah. And I'm like, that's why we're doing That's why we're doing podcasts, so I can keep this face off the screen and Absolutely. just use this, these golden pipes. <laughs> yeah, we're in the fresh polo today. Very nice, very nice. Jerry's coming to us from Ohio right now. I'm in New York at the John Boy Media office, so we're doing this over Zoom but uh, things sound great. Everything's checking out over here. But yeah, man, I'm I'm ecstatic. We got some great reception when we announced today, which was awesome. Had some players uh, extend congratulatory remarks. That was cool, too. Feels like I'm really rubbing elbows with people I shouldn't be rubbing elbows with. But there you go. That's just how the cookie crumbles, I guess. <laughs> Hey, that's you're you're big time now, man. Yeah, you're man, you're so. you're part of the media crew. We did get a warm reception. I was really excited about that. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I haven't been I haven't been on this side of things before, where you launch something, and the feedback comes, you know, kind of spits out here and there on Twitter. Usually, yeah. I, I'm a post game ignoring if I <laughs> if I gave up a homer. This is I haven't even done anything yet, and we're getting positive feedback. So hopefully, the people the- love Jer. They love Jer. <laughs> But yeah, so if you're tuning into our first episode, we really appreciate it. Uh, and it's it's definitely an interesting time to uh, launch a Mets podcast because they've had arguably uh, maybe the worst week they've had in like half a decade. I mean, whoa. Uh, <laughs> it, really, it really hit me like a ton of bricks. We're launching this podcast. And I think Mets are really going to launch their season today. I this think is the it. season starts. To, that's what I've been hearing, that the season starts today. We're, we're going to positively put out that, that energy into the universe. And we're going to help the Mets, you know, steady the ship and, and point in the right direction and hopefully win a World Series. I still believe in this team. I Someone's got to, you know, someone's got to point them in the right direction. You got to, right? I think, you know, we'll talk about it later. But I think um, James McCann's quote, you talked mm, about it. Yep. You know, Pete, Pete's got a lot of the a lot of the focus, but I think what James McCann resonated a little bit more. And I think what he said represents kind of what the players think. But we'll talk about it later. I really think we're starting today. Our season starts today. The Mets season starts today. Hell yeah, Jerry. Absolutely. And they got a much needed <laughs> off day uh, today. They open a series with the Nats. But we should recap uh, what happened over the weekend. Normally, these series recaps will be longer, but I think, you know, everyone will be cool with us just kind of squeaking by on this one. Uh, there are some positive things to note 
somehow from this Philly series. I can name like maybe two of them. Uh, but let's let's go through the games. Uh, on Friday, they uh, they opened the series at Citizens Bank Park. The Mets dropped that game four to two. Marcus Stroman gave them five innings pitched and two earned runs with five strikeouts. His season ERA is actually down to two point eight three now, uh, but his win loss record is still seven and eleven. Uh, he suffered the most starter losses in the league for any guys with uh, allowing two runs or less in a start, and he's got a healthy margin there as well. Um, what else we got here? Aaron Loop had another scoreless inning. I feel like we're, we're going to be saying this every time we record an episode. He lowers his season ERA to 1.22, and his scoreless outing streak is now up to 15 games. He hasn't allowed a run since the 4th of July against the Yankees. Uh, so that is pretty awesome. He's been uh, – He's not just doing it like – here and there he's coming into big spots coming into tight games everywhere all and up and down the the from the third inning sixth inning eighth inning yeah he's just a solid dude that's what you want he's just continuing to prove what a great signing that's been yeah and I feel like you know he's so versatile too because we've seen him go like two innings and uh, shut people out and then we've seen him throw one pitch in an outing and a bases loaded jam and get that out so it's really useful to have a guy that is uh, applicable like that and he's also like a, a lefty and like a sidearm guy so he's just like the whole package. He's got that unique delivery, the unique side, and then also you can use him whenever you want. So I've been loving Aaron Loop. They need to bring him back next year for sure. On top of that, you you could you get the chance of seeing him his post game interviews where he can just you know be the guy. He's yeah. the man. He's just a he guy. just shows he's a dude. His he's his electric personality doesn't come across like as in your face, but he's so chill and he's so steady like his presence on the mound is the same as it is in the clubhouse and it's it's awesome to be around absolutely yeah he's really like i feel like he just comes in every day he does his job he's that kind of guy and that's the kind of guy you want on your team anyway um so we're singing praises to the mets bullpen we're gonna be doing that a lot because they had another good series here and they've been having good series not just because i'm on this podcast but because they are doing truly great yeah, we're not biased at all. This is not a biased pod <laughs> by any means. Uh, in game one, the offense goes uh, five for 33, and no one records more than one to hit. Uh, Nimmo, Baez, and VR all left three runners on base, and the Phillies made three errors in this game, and the Mets didn't capitalize on any of them. Both runs were earned that the Mets scored. So they drop game one, four to two. They head in the next day uh, and face off against Ranger Suarez in the Phillies' bullpen. Uh, so it was going to be a bullpen game. Uh, this was the game to win, and they did not win this game. They lost 5-3. to three. The offense went 6-for-34, and four of those hits came in the ninth inning. We'll get to that in a little bit. Alonzo and J.D. Davis both go 0-for-4 with three strikeouts. No bueno. First eight innings, the Phillies' bullpen, including Ranger Suarez, eight shutty, four walks, two hits, 11 strikeouts. So the Mets' offense looking a little broken, no real rhythm there. But they did hit back-to-back-to-back home runs off of Phillies reliever Yovera uh, from Conforto, VR, and McCann. That goes up in the ninth. Uh, really weird game that we're going to have to associate back-to-back-to-back home runs with uh, for the rest of our Mets fandom, but that's just kind of the way that game crumbled. Uh, the offense kind of stalled out after that. They got two runners on, and then Alonzo and uh, Davis both struck out on fastballs from Ian Kennedy. And, uh, yeah, that's, this was the toughest game of the series for me, for sure. This was the backbreaker. They knew going in that it's going to be a bullpen game. Yeah. Um, that they're they're going to need to put up some runs, and they just couldn't do it. They didn't push through, didn't get any really hits, didn't even, you know, what was it, runners in score position, like 0 for 5? Oh, God, I don't know the exact number. Yeah. It was up there, though. Yeah, so, I mean, they, they, they continued to struggle in those positions. They just didn't really, really put any pressure on it. So Yeah. Tough to win those games when you're not putting any pressure on the pitching, and they can kind of just get in their own rhythm, inning in and inning out. But why don't you talk about what happened in the last game? 
Yeah. So this was the game. This is, you know, coming against Wheeler. This is, this is the battle you have the Roy Halladay game, the, the Phillies retired Roy Halladay's number and Zach Wheeler put up some Roy Halladay performance that day. He went nine and gave up a leadoff double to Nimmo then went pretty much straight until he gave up a, a, a hit to Nimmo in the ninth complete game, 11 punchies, just those two hits. I think one walk to Conforto Yep, and it was just pure dominance. I think he did another, like he just, he's elite. He is, you know, in that category. That's not quite DeGrom. He might take Cy Young. He's been steady, you know, his, his injury history in the past and, and he's leading the league in innings pitched and strikeouts. And he's kind of running away with it. He's, he's, putting that team on the, on their back. Um, if they do make the playoffs, uh, he's going to be a big reason why he's but, the game one starter for sure. I yeah. thought at the beginning of the season, it might be Nola, but he's the head of that staff now. Yeah. He's the, he's the head of that staff, but he's, he's just spectacular. And unfortunately the Mets bore the brunt of that in a game that, that they swept. Um, thank goodness for that off day yesterday. Cause yeah. we needed it. A much yeah. needed off day. Um, and an interesting stat from that game, uh, Zach Wheeler actually became the first Phillies pitcher to retire 24 batters in a row since Roy Halladay. So on the day they honored him, he uh, lined up with that history. And you're, you're going to run into that. You're going to run into him. But he's, he's, that's going to happen. In a series, if you face an ace, sometimes you're just going to get beat. He's, they're that good. Um, like I said, game one would have been a nice one. Game two, we needed to take down. And then you just got beat by a really good pitcher in game three. So That was the fourth time the Mets faced Wheeler this year. They won the first two times, uh, but the last two games, 16 shutout innings combined. So Wheeler has figured out the Mets. He's figured out the league. He's figured out the league. Yeah, he's figured out the league, I should probably say. Not just the Mets. And he really did it. Figured out the Mets, I think. He's, so, he's so dominant, too, because he's... It's his fastball. You, you see guys just swing through and just go, that was nasty. And then he throws that 91-mile-hour slider, and then he'll mix in that curveball. Like, he's, he's spectacular. Too, that chokes the inside zone. Really good. He got, a, like, a few nice calls on that that were borderline strikes. But um, a silver lining here for the Mets uh, was Taiwan Walker's start, which I, I wanted you to talk about a little bit because, you know, he's had a rough go of it uh, in the second half so far. But it, it, this start was really nice to watch. Yeah, Taiwan looked good. He looked really good to start. He gave up three solo shots, but it was really could have been a backbreaker because it was in the first inning. He goes back to back with one out and we were down two to nothing. One of them, you know, it's just a, a Phillies ballpark shaking your head kind of can't believe that ball got out, but he really righted the ship. He, he was steady. He was a presence in that, that mound. He, he really solidified himself, I think. And, and it's a momentum builder. He looked good on his last start didn't get a win. He looked good in this start, didn't get a win, but I think he's trending, like I said, positive from last time. I think he really looks great. The, the problem is that it, you know, with the lack of performance on the offensive side and the only real life that they've shown have been like solo shots in the ninth inning, um, the starters feel like they have to be perfect. And that's too much pressure. That's too much pressure to put on any of the starters. And I think um, Taiwan Walker has been kind of the, or the bright, even McGill, they both pitched really well. Stroman too. They both pitched. McGill great. got tagged by that one bad inning, but otherwise he was one great. bad inning. And he, he was dominant up, up until that point too. Like just his fastball looked great. And he just, you know, the, the rookie mistakes, one inning gets kind of snowballs on him. And right. 
you know, when you're, when your offense isn't scoring, those, those feel even heavier to the guys and, yeah. and you, you can't pitch trying to be perfect. There's, you're just, it's incapable of doing it. And, and I think Taiwan Walker's done really well. I think he's heading in the right direction. I just don't, it just feels like it echoes too loud when, when you're, you know, every run is like, feels like it's, you can't overcome it. So I wanted to, like it's game changing. Yeah. I just, I wanted to make sure that we highlight that he's pitching the last two starts a lot better. If we can get rid of those solo shots, those home runs that have been his kind of downfall since the all-star break, I think we can, you know, he could be even bigger for us going down the stretch. Yeah. That was the one thing I was going to highlight there. The three solo shots in that start, that means 10 home runs in his last four. Uh, Luckily, you know, there weren't runners on base. So he really wasn't, uh, what what do we have here? One walk. So that's it. Not a lot of base runners outside of the three solo shots. So, I mean, he's really, he was controlling the zone. He looked a little bit more confident after that shaky first inning. It looked like the first half Taiwan that, you know, felt healthy, you know, really had his swagger Mm -hmm. going. Uh, and he was pitching in a big game. So you need to have swagger when you're going against uh, the division rival for the division lead. Uh, but the Mets offense just didn't come through. Went six, went six, gave up four hits. Three of them happened to be, you know, solo home runs. Yeah. But again, the solo home runs aren't going to kill you. It's the the multi-inning, like the McGill kind of gave up those yeah. the multi-runs. Those are the ones that are the backbreakers. But if you give up solo shots, I mean, look at Max Scherzer. He gives up so many home runs, but it's, you know, two hits and he goes seven gives up two hits, two solo home runs, and yeah. seven and two, you'll, you'll take that every time. Absolutely. Yeah, so the Mets' bats were quiet this game again. They finally got their first multi-hit game of the entire series uh, from Brandon Nimmo. He was the one that got it, but those were the only two hits that they registered. So Nimmo figured out Wheeler, the rest of the Mets' offense, not so much. Uh, we also have Javier Baez uh, potentially sidelined. We don't know much about it. Uh, he's uh, getting some tests done in New York right now. It's with his hip. He's day-to-day, so he's not going to be starting tonight, I'd assume, um, so a corresponding move is probably coming unless they keep the spot and then they have another injured guy taking up a spot. So that's a, that's a hairy situation for the Mets. Uh, we're going to expand on that in a little bit. Yeah, but, that's tough. He looked kind of like he jammed it in Miami coming yeah. down the line and it seems to have, you know, kind of lingered for him. And so we'll see what goes on there. It's something that they might just need to, to sit him down, give him this 10 days and, and see so. what battles back. But like we said, we'll, we'll, we'll hear about it later. Yeah, when he first, you know, aggravated it and walked off uh, when he was batting, I thought he had, like, fouled it off his foot, and that's why he didn't run out. But then I saw him gripping his side, and I was like, oh, God, war flashbacks. Here we go again. Another middle infield <laughs> gone, please. Yeah, man, yeah, middle infield are... legs for the Mets this season. McNeil's, Javi Baez, Francisco Lindor. Everyone's going down, man. Luckily, McNeil's back with us now, though, so that's good. Yeah, and he looks good. He looks healthy. Um, Swinging a good bat. Let's push him forward. Yep, that's what we need. We need offense. Uh, What you're going to learn quickly uh, with me and Jer, Jolly and Jer, as I like to call it, uh, on the Shea Station, is that we are both positive Mets fans. We're optimists. We've had a good year. We like to look at the bright side of things. So if you're an angry Mets fan uh, looking for us to go in on the team, this might not be the pot for you, but we're happy you're joining us anyway. And uh, after every series, we're going to talk about key performances from that series and I'm pretty sure most of you can guess it if we're talking about what went well in the series, because it wasn't much. Uh, But it was, once again, uh, the solid Mets bullpen, which really has been great year in, uh, uh, this entire year, I should say. Uh, Really consistent, the most consistent part of the team. And I wanted to hand the mic off to Jer for that one, since, you know, former Mets reliever just makes the most sense. I could speak about this bullpen all day long. Top to bottom, they've been great. Uh, Let's see, the series, they went eight and a third, three runs, nine punches, no walks. I mean, no in the series, 10 so inning cute. pitch, 
three earned runs in the last series. They've just continued to be elite, like the best of the best. The one downfall, and it's kind of been a year-long thing, is Edwin Diaz in non-save situations. He gave up a huge home run to Bryce Harper there. Yeah. That was a tough one. I think they should only pitch him when it's a save opportunity. He's content. He showed how good he can be in those situations. And you have so many guys behind him. They are, they're, they're so, I mean, you have Trevor May, who we talked about, who's a former closer has, has save opportunities, but he's pitched in those situations his entire career. You have, a Lugo that's that's been our closer before. You have Loop that can do a little bit Aaron of anything. Can do anything you want, baby. Anything. anything I bet he could. I bet he could give you five if you if you gave him four days off. If you really asked him, I think he could do it. But we have so many guys that are capable of throwing in that inning when the the game's tied. And Diaz is elite, and he's proven it time and time again. Just not in those situations. Yeah. Let you know it may be an anomaly, but it may not. Let's not put him in those positions anymore. Let's let him just be the closer. Just do the saves and let everybody else be their their great selves in that bullpen and continue want, to, to, to be dominant a little bit because I I that has to be a mental thing I really don't think that like it like maybe it's because he's facing a certain part of the lineup or certain hitters or whatever but I I fully assume that the DS non save situation thing it's gone on all season so we really can't ignore it anymore I really I really thought it was just kind of a fake narrative in April and May but it's persisted to now. So, like, I wanted to ask you, have you, had you ever dealt with, like, a mental block uh, with a certain theme in a game, stuff like that, when you were coming in a lot for the, the Mets, Nats, Braves, whatever? Yeah, there's so much emphasis being placed on just outs or outs. You know, they're anomalous. It doesn't matter what game the situation is, what, what's going on. It really, it's not true. There's a reason why the guys at the back of the bullpen are at the back of the bullpen. Those, it's different. You feel the different energy. If you give up two runs in the fifth inning, you're like, all right, my team can can dig their way back out. But you give them up in the ninth inning, right. the game's over. And so it's a different mental approach. And so I, Edwin Diaz is a great closer. He has elite stuff. You know, I keep saying elite, but he's he's really cream of the crop when it comes to just pure stuff. Yeah. And I think I think it's a just different approach. So let him just be that guy. Let let the other guys in the bullpen that you've paid good money to 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 pitch in those situations let them do their thing yeah you have a bunch of former closers you know bunch of former closers you have high leverage guys i mean drew smith has been one of the best i was a huge drew smith advocate before the season drew if you're listening i love you man Uh, i mean drew is great and he he dealt with uh some arm issues in spring training and didn't break with the team and, and came back and he's just been dominant. He fits right into that bullpen. They have so many guys that are almost interchangeable seventh, eighth, ninth inning guys. Yep. So just let let Drew Smith pitch in those. Let Miguel Castro, you know, yep. let, you know, whoever the case may be, let them pitch, let Diaz be your closer, and that's it. I think it's a simple switch, a simple, you know, whatever it is that if it is a mental block, just eliminate it. You don't have right. to worry about it anymore. No questions, no, like, having to prove himself. Just do that. Jerry, I got some trivia for you. Oh, bring it. Patented Mets trivia. Do you remember how Drew Smith got to the Mets? Ooh, it was a trade. It was a trade. I can give you the team if you want, if that helps. Give me the team. The team was the Tampa Bay Rays. This was one of the few trades that I think they lost. Oh, wow. I don't. Is that Lobaton? No. Oh, my God, you don't know? Let's go. Who was it? 
this is when we dealt Lucas Duda, and I think 2017 Dudes. or 2018, Duda went to the Rays, and we got Drew Smith back. So it's been great. It has been a great, yeah. but Lucas Duda. I mean, what a Love what Lucas a. Duda. <laughs> we follow <laughs> Lucas Duda as some of my favorite content mm-hmm. of all time. Curtis Granderson, Duda's an amazing guy. Absolutely, the Mets. He he was a great Met. I love that guy. I miss. I wish him and Granderson were still Mets. You know, Um, I do too. Everyone's got to move on. Our locker room uh, setup was like Duda and Curtis were right here, and I was on the other side of the doorway. Mm -hmm. And so I was all in on on that little. We were furthest away. That was a a good little connection we had in that corner. I just like the visual of like Granderson following him around wherever he went, just to bother him. (laughs) (laughs) Just a. Hey, Lucas, half the time he didn't even have the camera on and dude, yeah. I would just be like hiding <laughs> please, behind. Please. No I love paparazzi. it. That's the guy, Duda. Duda's the guy that didn't like the spotlight. So let's give Drew Smith some spotlight. Hell, let's give him some love. Yeah, would love to chat with Drew Smith. Uh, he's got that flow. What he's got, He grew the, the hair flow. out. I, I like to think that I broke uh, the Drew Smith haircut, by the way. Uh, it was very not common knowledge. But I tweeted about Drew uh, in the offseason. Talked about his locks. Some people asked. I got a picture up. Blew up. Now people know. They know about the locks. But I like to think that I was first on the case. Obviously, Drew was because he got the haircut. But I'm going to ignore that. I'm just saying that it was me. You'll see him walk off the mound with his little bow leg like he's riding a horse and the, the flow behind just rocking, waving in the in the wind. Stallion. Uh, big shout out to Drew. I'm a fan of him as a pitcher and an even bigger fan of him as a human being. Just a solid dude. Love Absolutely. it. Love seeing him succeed. So we talked about the good and obviously, we got to talk about the bad as well. We have to be an objective pod. Uh, we can't just dance around that stuff. There's a lot of bad to address. We're not going to go through all of it because, as, as I mentioned before, we're positive peeps. We like to keep it a positive pod. A lot of alliteration there. Kind of hurt my mouth. Uh, but we do have Slump Watch here. Well done, though. Uh, and uh, the Slump Watch uh, mainstay, or I guess uh, the uh, topic for today's Slump Watch, is going to be Pete Alonzo. Uh, for a couple reasons. Now, obviously, he's uh, been 0 for his last 19. That's the stat that's been tossed around a lot uh, with the Mets losing all these games. That's since game two in Miami of that four-game set. He does have eight walks in that span, which I which I found to be pretty interesting because that's a pretty good OBP despite a zero batting average. Only six Ks in that span, too. So, Pete's, you know, he's been making contact. We've seen a lot of high EVs. Uh, that just lead to nothing. So he's getting bad-bipped a little bit. He also ripped the ball that Alex... Uh, Boom at third bait. Boom? Yeah, boom. Boom. He made a great play with the runner runner at third and barely threw him out. He's making good contact when he does. Um, I think he stays hot like he has. He entered the all-star break hot, won the home run derby, came out hot. I think he's, you know, he ran into Zach Wheeler. We all do it. I mean, I don't run into Zach Wheeler, thank God. But (laughs) that's that's tough. That's just life, you. Even if you if you're feeling good and you go over three with three punches against Wheeler, you're like, well, he's Zach Wheeler. So exactly. Yeah, I was going to touch on that because you mentioned the home run derby. I've I've been seeing this narrative uh, being floated around that uh, the home run derby ruined Pete. I don't think it's true at all. Uh, first first 14 games after the break, he was batting 321 with six bombs, 14 RBIs. So I don't think that narrative rings true. I honestly think he's looked more confident. It's just this past week has been really really rough for Pete. 
Uh, but we know what Pete is like as Mets fans. He's very bubbly. He's happy-go-lucky. I think of him as like the gold. I know he's the polar bear, but I do think of him as like a golden retriever. I love watching Pete smile and have a good time. It's It was my favorite to watch him bop his head during the home run derby. He was really feeling himself. But that can get you in some hot water, uh, especially when the team's not playing well and uh, Lindor and DeGrom are out. So you're kind of like, you're the face of the team right now, essentially. Uh, you're the guy that won the Derby. You're the former home run champ, all that former rookie of the year. So people are going to look to you and they're going to ask you the hard questions. Pete got asked about the series and uh, the momentum going forward for the Mets, uh, what things look like. I'm going to read the direct quote because I feel like it's kind of important to context uh, to give context to the ensuing discussion we're going to have here. Here's the full quote. It says, Mets fans believe in us. Don't just believe. No, because I understand these are tough times, not just in baseball, but in life in general. Know that this is just a speed bump and a challenge and also smile. You get to watch baseball, even though we're it's a game. I know we have the most passionate fan base in baseball, and I understand that it's frustrating. It's frustrating for us, but just understand that we're here together. We're all in this together, and we got this. Just smile and know that we got this. I'm going to ask you first, because you're a former player that's dealt with press conferences, usually when you gave up a home run, is what you told me, which is tough. That's a tough way to go. But I want you to, I want your full thoughts on this answer, just in general. So I, I actually like the answer, every part except for telling the fans to smile. First of all, you never tell anyone to smile. I think life lesson right there. You know, if somebody's grumpy or somebody's down or you tell somebody to smile, it's not going to go well. It's sort of like Yorkers. telling someone to calm down when they're angry. Because that yeah, never Yeah, you works. don't want to do Just that. Just calm down. The, you know, like that doesn't work. Yeah. The only time it's, no, never say smile. The only time in reverse that that's worked was like, Aaron Rodgers, when he spelled R-E-L-A-X, relax. Yeah, that's what but that, that wasn't like. a smile. That wasn't a smile. And also, that's, that's Wisconsin. That's not New York. Very different game. I love what Pete said because I believe, too. I believe in, in Pete. I, I think he said it. But when he was like, smile, you know, you get to watch baseball. So even if we are terrible, at least you're watching baseball. Yeah, no. You don't want to, you don't, you don't want to say that nobody likes being told what to do. Nobody likes being told that their emotions are false, that they yeah. shouldn't feel the way they do. And I don't think he meant it that way, but I think he wanted to kind of lighten uh, the feeling and the, and the, the response to what's been going on. And I, I believe his sentiment and Pete, he speaks his mind. He speaks in front of the media. He's never afraid to say anything. And sometimes you're, you're going to say something that's not the best. And this is one of those things, but yeah. I still love Pete. I still love the way he treats the media, the things that he says, but don't, don't tell people to smile. It's just a, just in general, you don't want to do it. It's never a good idea. He's been a media darling of sorts. People have really enjoyed Pete uh, in his time as a New York Met, even through the struggles and stuff like that. Uh, I think that this was, some people thought that this was like a pre-planned answer. I think with like the stuttering and like the slip of tongue on some things, I think this was kind of on the fly. I think it caught him a little off guard. But, you know, when you're the main face left on a team, you got to be prepped for questions like that. The hard hitters that, you know, people are going to come after you for. But you know what? You know what I do respect is that he actually doubled down today. He didn't, you know, back <laughs> up on it or anything. He didn't double down on just smile, thank God. Uh, but in a quote that came out like 30 minutes just before we started recording, uh, he said, we got this. It's a special group. I know we're going to make it happen. You got to believe. Okay. So I... That's one part of it that's a little dicey, and it's it's a game where if the Mets start winning games, you know, you got to believe being dropped there, Pete's looking like the king of the world. He's looking real good. 
Um, but dropping, you got to believe after, you know, dropping six of seven and losing first place and going to third, that's a dangerous game. So the Mets really, you know, a lot will be told to us with this series uh, with Washington, I feel like. What, what do you, what do you want them to say? That's what right, I want yeah. my players to say. You got to believe because if they don't believe who else is going to believe Yeah, he is trying to project outwardly how he and the team feels inwardly. And I, that's what I want to hear. You know, you got to believe is a, is a, you know, a piece of Mets history that, so if you're going to, if you're going to latch onto that, you better, you better come out, you know, doing the same things. And we'll see right now, we got such a big series coming up. We're facing the nationals in the the three games before we hit the the big teams on the West coast. Yeah. We're going to go over probables for that later. Our outlook on that, but uh, we, yeah, the upcoming schedule uh, it's nationals and then it's 13 games of beef, 13 games of West coast Titans. You, you had mentioned, I want to just touch base. You talked about, we, we touched on what James McCann said. I wanted to, to, to reiterate that. So McCann's quote after uh, the game, the same game that, that Pete told everybody to smile, I'm going to read it. It says, there has to be a sense of urgency. I agree with that. You can't keep saying, we'll get them tomorrow. We'll get them tomorrow. We will get them tomorrow. But the thing, the next thing, you know, you'll look up and be in the middle of September and it'll be too late. So there does have to be a sense of urgency but there's a different sense of urgency than panic. Yes, I love the last line there. Perfect. It's the truth because nobody in that clubhouse. James, by the way, James McCann is is an amazing leader. He's he's speaks in team meetings. He he holds court. He's a a great signing, I think, for the Mets. I think I was super impressed with how he came into spring training this year, and really, you know, started to take things over in a sense. Him and Lindor are two guys, but he he ran you know, making sure we tip the the workers and the clubbies. He ran all that stuff. And so I like that insider info. Very nice, Jer. Very nice, Jer. Yeah. Right. So, so J- everybody does it. Everybody has a team that makes sure that, that, you know, the clubbies get paid, the, everybody gets their proper due. Um, and it takes a leader like McCann Conforto does it to, to collect. And so he was, he was one of those guys instantly. And I, I was super impressed with him holding meetings about, you know, changing the signs. He was really upfront meeting with every pitcher in spring training, making sure he's going over it, even though he doesn't catch like the guys in the bullpen that aren't going to be one of the mainstays because you need, you know, he's getting in shape too. He made sure to go up to everybody that had a chance of making the team and speak to them about signs. But again, I just wanted to, to go over his quote. He, he understands that there's a sense of urgency. I think Pete said that they have to believe and, and to, to smile I think it's the same sentiment, just in a better delivery. I think yeah. it's players understand that it's August. It's time. This is crunch time. We believe, um, but now we have to start performing. And yeah. I think that's I think that's really the gist of what's going on. And I think the the day off yesterday, pushing into this good run, this tough stretch, you'll see. Do the guys have fight or do they not? And and we're we're about to find out. Yeah. I mean, this is proving ground. I mean, after after this two-week stretch with the West Coast teams, the Mets' schedule is it's not that bad. I think it, a lot of the narrative was Phillies have an easy rest of the go. The Mets have a really tough schedule. But after, if you can get through these two weeks and you play like 500 ball and then you capitalize on all the series after that, you can make this a race. But this next two weeks, it's going to tell us what the season will be. It, I feel it'll, like. it'll show us, no matter what, like these games aren't, aren't going to break our season unless we go like 0 for 13 or 0 for 16 or whatever it is. Yeah. What you can do is show who you are, what kind of medal you have, what type of team. Do you have fight? Do you not? 
this is kind of identity shaping for this team moving forward. And so I think it's, I think this is a good stretch. I think everybody in that clubhouse feels it. And uh, they're about to show some, some true colors coming forward. Got to see some gumption. That's what I'm looking for. Check gumption. That, yeah. that Wow. Okay. You're <laughs> bringing out all the stops in our debut. But yeah, gumption. I mean, we constantly hear the narrative of the Mets play down to competition. They lose series to the Marlins. They lose them to the Pirates. And then they play up to competition. I mean, not even that long ago, they uh, beat out the Blue Jays. They, uh, I'm forgetting who else. Uh, they played another winning team recently and were able to etch out that series. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, excuse me. Um, but yeah, the Mets have, have beaten the contending teams. They beat the Padres as well this year. Um, so I'm really interested to see how they come out the other side because their record against winning teams is honestly not that bad. The record against losing teams is really where the fault in the team uh, has been located. There was a lot of games that they could have made up uh, ground in those series, but it just never really came together. So I, I'm feeling, you know, obviously we're positive, positive pod. I'm feeling optimistic about it. I probably shouldn't be, but I can't tell my brain how to function. Well, I mean, you can feel optimistic all you want, as I do. I'm completely on board with this team. You know, I I got a taste of who they were, and I think it's a great group of people that they put together. Um, but we're really about to see who they are, what they what they do in these these next you know couple of series. These are gonna they're gonna show their identity, what kind of fight they have, who they are. Hopefully, it all comes together. But nothing is nothing is over. The season isn't over. Um, they're not buried. They're still in it. Everybody's in it. That's the blessing of the NL East this year. Is nobody has you know decided to run away with it. It's a it's a you know three horse race. Yeah. I would call it a three horse race. Yeah. Yeah. You got the Nats and the Marlins kind of, you know, hanging out in the, in the basement and we'll see the, the Braves, the, they're looking pretty solid. And then you got the, the Phillies right there taking over first place. And, and there's the Mets when we're about to fight it out. It's going to be some, some really fun baseball for these next two months. I will say that I think the deadline performances of each of these teams are being highlighted by the current standings. I think the Phillies getting Gibby and Ian Kennedy was a amazing move uh, the cost of Spencer Howard I thought that was a totally rational move for them Braves got some really good bench bats and I think that's really all the Mets need to do you know getting Javi Baez and Tebow was awesome but filling out the depth was uh, the top of my checklist and um, there were a lot of options out there uh, but for teams that were fringe contending uh, not really in it or just basement dwelling uh, for just pieces to add to the team to put in and shuffle the roster the Mets are going to have to look elsewhere to shuffle their roster now. I actually think we can skip on down to that because we were, uh, we were talking a couple nights ago about this, about Aaron ideas, because I tweeted something and you were like, you're crazy. And I was like, you know what, probably. But, you know, you got to be crazy in times like these. Let's go for it. I'm in. Yeah, we mentioned before that Javi Baez, uh, he's, he's having a hip issue now. Uh, we don't know how long it's going to be. He's listed day to day right now. We don't have any updates there. And then we also have J.D. Davis, uh, who has looked like uncomfortable ever since he's come back. I think he's still dealing with hand issues. He's missing pitches that he usually crushes, uh, which is a little bit alarming. I think it's definitely injury-related and not uh, an underperformance there. So say in the situation that we have to IL one of them or both of them, you know, what are the corresponding moves that you make? There, You have a few options in AAA, but I want to hear from you because you outlined some pretty uh, key points when bringing guys up and, you know, messing up the uh, rhythm or, I guess, juju of a team, how that can go, especially when it influences the younger players and their trajectory. So I wanted to hear what what you would do if you were GM Jerry Blevins. If, if we had to, if we had to, to DL or IL them both, 
you had mentioned um, Mark Vientos coming up because he's been crushing double A. And I just brought up the counterpoint to what that means as an organization. You're going to start the clock of a really young prospect. Right. Um, and you're going, he needs to play every day. And so if they're both down, he's going to find ABs. If only one of them, like say Baez just needs the 10 days and, and JD isn't hurt. It's just timing that he needs. He's going to need at bats. And then you're going to run out of ABs when, when Baez gets, and then you're going to option him down. Does he go to triple a and take over there? Does he go all the way back to double a where him and, and Beatty are, are battling it out? I don't know. I don't know the right answer. Um, I don't get paid to know the right answer, but I do know, I do know that they need something. And if both of those guys are down, that shows that, that lack of depth. I think Brandon Drury is a great player. I think he's a, a, a really kind of uh, undervalued asset that the Mets have had. He's come up really big in some tight spots off the bench. I don't think he is, um, I don't think he is the answer um, at, you know, third base or whatever the case may be for the long haul. Yeah. But I think he's a solid contributor. Um, Travis Blankenhorn, I don't really know a ton about him. I think he's very versatile. I think he's a good piece. Um, but we're we're really like stretched thin because of all these injuries. And that's where, you know, the deadline thing would have been pretty good. I mean, you can't, you know, un, you can't predict, you know, Guillaume going down and losing Joneshwi Fargus. Shout out Joneshwi, we miss you. Hope you're doing well in Chicago. Um, but, you know, now you're stretched thin when you were praising depth in the offseason. I think it, Vientos is it's, it's the most interesting case of any of these because it's a very similar situation to Michael Conforto when he got called up in 2015. He was a, a sort of a relief to an anemic lineup that later added Kelly Johnson, Juan Uribe, and then, of course, Ioannis Suspedes. Um, but Conforto was raking in, in double A. He skipped over triple A and then honestly had a pretty good run of it his rookie year. I had a couple homers in the World Series. You know, it doesn't get much better than that. I don't know if it's going to be the same thing for Mark Vientos, but he is young. He does play third and he's been tearing the cover off the ball. You did mention one thing which I found pretty interesting. His fielding percentage is under 90 uh, at double A right now playing third. So he has defensive struggles much like JD, but probably will be magnified. Uh, if it's brought up to the big league stage. But I don't think you can kind of cherry pick with these things. I think you just, if the struggles continue, you need to get a bat in there and whatever you got, you got to put in. This is this is where you value your coaching staff that sees him every day and the scouts that you pay to, to identify these players. If he's ready and you think he's the thump that you need in this lineup, that's number one. If he, if he stumbles through some defensive woes in the big leagues, you can, you can work around that. It could just be that the baseball fields at double a are terrible and you're going to get bad hops here and there inconsistencies, you know, maybe the, the, the official scorekeeper, he makes this great diving play and it should have been, you know, a base hit and he gives him an error just because he's electric. You don't know. I have never seen him play, but I do know that his stat sheet was he got, 20 home runs right now it's crazy he's crushing the ball he's tearing the cover off of it and so if you think that he's ready bring him up and let him just get some ab's let him get his feet wet let him hit seventh eighth in the order and just get comfortable and, and he can really work on defense you know gary d sarcina is one of the best fielding coaches you know ron washington at atlanta gets a lot of love for good mm -hmm. purpose and good reason but d -Sar is phenomenal at doing that too and teaching guys little techniques that help you become a good big leaguer. And so yeah. I think that's a, that's an interesting choice. If you're going to miss both of them, 
uh, you might want to give that guy a call up because he yeah. could be the spark that the team needs, just like Conforto did at 15. I wanted to mention, you know, you need a good coaching staff to enact uh, some, you know, inspiration and I guess some talent and some techniques in all these young minor league guys that had to come up this year and just show out. But we saw a lot of great performances from them. So the coaching staff is obviously doing something right there. Um, so we, we probably won't have an update on this until the end of the Nats series. If the Mets bats continue to stay quiet for another three games and you drop those and the Phillies play well in the West or the, the Braves beat the Reds, that's when the move needs to happen. You can't wait any more time there. You can't stay idle. If the Mets perform, this could be a moot discussion, but we don't know. We're, we're, we're far removed from that. The series starts tonight. And speaking of the series, let's go over some probables for the Mets' upcoming series with the Washington Nationals. They're hosting the Nats for three games. The Nats are 50-62 and 62 after dropping a series to Atlanta. Uh, game one is going to be Cookie Carrasco, our guy, facing off against Paolo Espino. Espino has actually beaten the Mets already once this season, and we're really going to be looking for Cookie to try and exceed that five-inning uh, limit that has not been imposed on him, but has been sort of cautious with him uh, through his first two starts. Cookie's looked good. Uh, you know, he gave up the first pitch home run to Jonathan India and then was solid against Cincy. Uh, he had a really good start against Miami, but he got tagged in that fifth inning. I'm hoping that this time out he can give the Mets five, get through that fifth, and then pass it off to the bullpen. Because, um, you know, Mets starters, you know, we've had one start of six innings in the past week. That was Taiwan Walker in our last game. So we, re we really need to try and stretch out these guys, get a little bit more length there. Did you want to touch on that at all? I, I don't see that we need that length. Not yet. Not yet. Because all we need is all we need is to keep it competitive. Give us a solid start. Give us five and two, just, you know, like Stroman did. That's all you need right now because our bullpen has been so stellar right. and it's been so deep. I really don't think you need six, seven innings out of guys. It would be a wonderful luxury, but that also comes with offense right. because, you know, if we're not scoring, when that spot comes up in those middle innings, they're going to get taken out for a pinch hitter because we need the offense. And so it's not just because the starters aren't going, it's been because you need that. I flash back to that series in Philly, um, bases loaded, nobody out. You know, Stroman's up in the fourth inning. Is it fourth? I think it was the fourth, third or fourth. I think it was the top of the top of the fourth. Bases loaded, nobody out. He just takes three looking because the guys behind him are going to do the damage. He didn't want to hit into a double play. And then, and then Nemo first pitch hits into an Indian double play. Yeah, that was tough. And if you if you go back on that and and you're Louis Rojas seeing the outcome of that inning. Do you pinch hit in the fourth there with bases loaded, nobody out? I don't think you do. You can't, but if you could look at it, you know, as a, you know, Monday morning quarterback type thing, you get three runs there. You let your bullpen throw that, you know, you, you just need offense to help. So many hypotheticals. That's it. But, but you don't need those innings. If you get six, seven out of a starter, it's because the offense have helped them too. So yeah. that's, that's a, that's what we need. We need offense. It'll take the pressure off of everybody. I absolutely agree. I was actually watching uh, that inning uh, from Atlantic City. I was in a casino. I was doing well at my table. Played what a Texas degenerate. Oh, come on. I came away with 300 <laughs> flat that night. I, I felt pretty good, good about myself. You. Yeah, man. I, I, I won a hand, celebrated with some buddies, looked up, and saw Nimmo get thrown out in a double play. And I was like, well, all right. Back to reality. If you could, we'll test your true, how do you feel as a fan? If you could have lost that hand, but Nimmo gets a hit, what do you do? Oh, if I could lose the 300 that I gained and yeah. have the Mets at least take one game, I think I would pay that. I honestly, that that's how delusional I am as a man. I love that. I love that about you. I love that about you. I was you, desperate Jolly. this weekend. I'm, I'm glad I came <laughs> up with some money. Like, my trip got paid because of my winnings, but man, I would have loved to win way more. Way, way more. 
But, you know, that the past is the past. I don't control the Mets. Uh, for game two, they're going to send out Rich Hill against Joe Ross. Hill had his best start as a Met his last go-around. It was five shutty against the Miami Marlins. Three hits, one walk, three Ks. Uh, I, that was not the game we won. We won the Cookie Carrasco game. Uh, so we lost that one later on. But Rich Hill, he's been, it looks like he's been improving every go of it with the Mets. And it's always sort of around that fifth inning where things get a little bit hairy. Uh, and last time, luckily, he was able to get out of that and you know finish his start. So that was good. And then uh, game three, we send back out Stroh, Marcus Stroman, back to the hill against Eric Fetty. Stroh is 0-3 in his last three starts with a 4.5 ERA. But he had a good outing against Philly. So I think if we get him some run support, get Hill some run support, even if these starts are all just five innings, you know, it's going to be enough for the Mets. They just need to start hitting. The key to me is that they need to take at least two or three. They don't need it, but they should take two or three from these guys. They traded everybody at the deadline. They did, they did the opposite. I just think they need to show that their offense can click. Even if they lose two out of three, it's still not the end of the season. It'll feel like it's all of us that are watching because we care, but it won't be the end of the season. If they get buried and they show no fight and they don't put up any runs, that's when you can start to push the alarm buttons a little bit. But I think they just, they should take this series pretty handily. They're the, the only player on this team is Juan Soto for the most part. Like he's, he is a great player, but as a pitching staff, I'm sure in this meeting is, this guy does not beat us. There's right. running and scorer position, and this guy is up. Pitch around him. He'll yeah. he'll get pitched around. He's got a great eye. He should get walked 42 times this this series. I hope so. Just walk him every time. Let's not even bother. And you got to yeah. remember the last time the Mets and Nats played, and Nats won that series, but that was also the Nats with uh, Kyle Schwarber, you know, their full pitching staff, their full bullpen with Daniel Hudson and stuff like that. This is a different team that we're facing, a team that's entering a new era. I do think the Nationals had a fantastic deadline. Uh, that's like a discussion for another day, but I think they killed it at the deadline. Um, but you're facing a much, much weaker team, and we've heard all season long how the Mets do not capitalize in these series. So if you're going to do it for the first time, this is the series to do it, to get some ground going into the West. This is it. And there's a lot less pressure to do it. You're not facing the the Phillies who are chasing you down. You're not facing against Zach Wheeler. You're coming in and you've got three solid starters out on your side and you got to let your offense come in. This is a big series for us just to build some momentum moving forward. I've always felt that the Mets play better in a chase rather than staving off competition. And now we're in that position. And, you know, you don't want to be like, yeah, I wanted to be in third because no one feels that way. You want to be in first. I love it. I wanted to talk. I'll touch a point on that really quick. I I felt the same way in Oakland. Nobody wants to be like Oakland. You're a blue collar team. Queens, you're a blue collar team. You know, you got the the shining star that is the Bronx and the Yankees and everybody loves them. In Oakland, we are looking across the bay and you've got the Giants and everybody loves them. And it's the same. You get a chip on your shoulder. We play better. It's, It's more exciting to fight and push and be the underdog a little bit to come back from something. And I, I really think that that could be another key to this clubhouse is, is getting out of that favorite, just being who we are and yeah. showing a little bit of fight and having to, to overcome some adversity, not just in injuries, but in season long adversity. And I think, I think it's just more fun this way. We, we hate it and it hurts our heart a little bit when the team struggles, but when we win that world series at the end, it's going to mean even more because we can look back on this moment and be like, Oh, we thought we were done. Pete told us to smile and we were so <laughs> mad at him, but we we're smiling at the about end. Rats and raccoons. I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. At the, everything will make up for itself in the ticker tape parade. I'm, I'm telling you. I mean, 
I'm not saying that they're going to win the World Series, but if they do, the line of memes mm. and stories and Dave Jow stepping in as coach and kicking You're going to write a book. There's There will be plenty of 2021 Mets books if they even make it make the October dance. So here's yeah, let's, hoping. Let's hope. Let's hold yeah. out hope. That's, that like would be good for, for the Mets, for us as fans, and for this podcast to, if we're going to be selfish about it. Yeah. Well, we're talking about Mets getting glory. You know, there's been a lot of glory in the past for the Mets, so I thought we'd take some time to reflect. Uh, we're going to do this day in Mets history. That's courtesy of at NYM History on Twitter. You should definitely go follow that account, uh, posting every day for Mets memories and stuff like that. Uh, on this day in 2019, August 10th, uh, they were down 2 nothing in the fourth against the Washington Nationals. Wouldn't you know? I was actually at this game, one of my favorite, probably my favorite Mets game that I've been to, other than uh, 2015 NLDS Game 3 where Cespedes hit the home run and tore the cover off the stadium. So dope. So dope. That's beautiful. Uh, But in this game, J.D. Davis and Wilson Ramos hit back-to-back home runs to even that score in the fourth. And then wouldn't you know, the perennial power hitter, the most dangerous power hitter in the league, Luis Guillorme, uh, hits his first major league home run off Fernando Rodney to tie it. And then we were put ahead uh, with the J.D. Davis sack fly and then ultimately won that game. That was the day after the Todd Frazier huge three-run bomb that I unfortunately did not go to. Wish I did. Know a lot of people that were there. Uh, so, Jer, uh, were, were you aware of this game? I know you were pitching for a division rival at this time, so you probably weren't rooting for the Mets. But uh, I still followed the Mets. I still did. Yeah. I was uh, all I in on the Braves, but I still, you know, you still look at the scoreboard. And, you know, if you're looking at it now, that was the game. I think we highlighted it on Twitter. The, the night before was the Todd Frazier yep. hit off of Doolittle, right? Yep. Is that that one? Yeah. And then you come in and had the walk off. Yeah, that was that was special. And then to fight back from this one, I, I don't remember this specific game, but the fact that you were there. Oh, yeah. Burning my mind. Rooting, rooting on. <laughs> good good that's a burned in memory yeah i don't i don't recall this event but i do remember the series and i remember it feeling big for the mets that's all i asked for as long as you remember the series i you just like to finish, think that you were you still finished behind mets. i i follow i follow people and teams that that i care about i always scoreboard watch with the a's and bob melvin and those guys over yep. there and i'll follow the mets forever oh, like yeah. it'll it's the truth that I loved my time in New York as a player and as a citizen, and I'll forever be indebted to the blue and orange. So, well, New York loves you too, Jared, but today for yeah. today's first ever installment of this day in Jerry's history, I'm trying out some names this day in Jerry's okay. history. Maybe I like jogging Jerry's memory, alliteration, you know, fooling mm-hmm. around a little bit with that. I got to see what works with the people like. This day in Jerry's history, we're going to go all the way back to 2014. Ooh. Oakland. Oh, no, not Oakland A's, Jerry. That was rare say, form. That's days. Washington Nationals, Jerry Blevins. Actually, My one year there that you the forgot one year about. Before you crossed over to the wonderful Mets. Uh, Jerry Blevins pitching for the Nats. He goes two innings against the Braves, and you strike out five dudes over those two innings. I, 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 I haven't seen a lot of two inning Jerry Blevins performances in the game logs when I was looking those up, but you struck out Freddie Freeman. Justin Upton, who kills lefties, so good on you. Tommy LaStella, Jason Hayward, and Gerald Laird. You did give up an RBI single to Evan Gaddis. Braves won that game. But, Jared, two innings pitch, five Ks. Have a day. You do what you got to do sometimes, you know. That was, uh, that was during the, this is our history. In 14, we were making a push there. We were, yeah. you know, I was fighting for a chance to be on the playoff roster because I had struggled a little bit earlier that year. And that was one of those where I'm feeling good run me back out there, really see what I could do against the heart of their order. 
freaking Gaddis, man. That guy, I don't know what is it, the lumberjack. Like, I bounced former janitor turned big leader. How about that? Great story. Series champion. Forget about him at the plate. I hated facing him. Like, I could, you know. He swings at everything. He's a huge dude holding a tree up there. Oh, my God. Strangest swing ball. I've ever seen. Looks so jagged. Dude, you know? he, he he was one of those guys. I, I gave up an RBI to him. It was probably like a an 0-2 11th pitch that he'd fouled off before others batter's box that he nicked and then yep. just gets a bloop. Like, I always felt like I did well against him, but he would beat me by breaking a bat bloop or, you know, whatever it was. But, hey, if you're going to keep highlighting, like, for Jerry – jogging jerry's memory yeah. uh i'll take five strikeout appearances that I was the care. best one i found i'm always gonna go with good performances unless i literally don't have one to use because i don't want to be like oh you gave up a grand slam how'd you feel about that and it's like no it felt, felt great felt great you know <laughs> felt awesome about you it, just honestly. just smile <laughs> but yeah so that was jogging jerry's memory for today we also have our former Mets standout uh, and this one may be uh, shocking to a few people if you didn't check uh, Twitter or watch any Central games over the weekend. Our guy Wilson Ramos is with another team. He signed with the Tigers in the offseason, got off to a real hot start, and then, you know, cooled way down. He got cut, DFA'd. He got picked up by the Cleveland Indians? Guardians? In- Indy Guardians? The Deans. Gar- the Deans. How about that? that? Actually, yeah, that's perfect. The Cleveland Deans, they pick him up. Uh, he plays in his first two games for them. Uh, in just those two games, he goes four for seven with a walk, two bombs, and four RBIs. So Wilson still muscling the ball, hitting it out of the ballpark. That was really nice to see. So That's good for him. Strong. He was on that team with me in fourteen. Yeah. He Former probably national caught those, just like those you. five strikeouts. You know, you think? Oh, I should I should have checked. I bet that, he actually. caught it. I bet I, well, it was either I him mean, or like Lobatone, right? I think he was the backup. Yeah, he was. Yeah, but I think Ramos, that was one of the years where he caught like 155 games or something yeah. crazy like that. I'm going to check that out, actually. I think he was an all star that year. Ramos had some awesome years uh, with the Nationals. Yeah, he, he unfortunately got hurt um, going into his free agent year, yeah. signed that like a two year deal with the Rays. And uh, gosh, what a strong human. They call him Buffalo for a reason. The guy yeah, is. For sure. Yeah, it wasn't until. Different- 2016, he made the all-star team, but man, he had a 121 OPS plus 22 bombs. Have a year for a catcher, yeah, man. That's pretty that's good. That's a heck of a year. Oh, we yeah. had a good team there in 14. Yeah. I mean, you guys ran the division for, you know, but I mean, you were only <laughs> we, there that one year. Again, we got Bumgarner. We, yeah. we got beat. We got beat in the series. We had no hits. The only person that hit on that team was during the playoffs was Bryce Harper. And that was the, I don't know if you remember when Harper came back to San Francisco Oh, yeah, who the was Hunter it? Strickland thing? Hunter Strickland, former yeah. Met. Hunter yeah. Strickland. Oh, yeah, former Met for like a It was like, games. it was the two years before. It was yeah. that playoff series. I think it was even Harper... three years or something. And then, was yeah, it? yeah Harper know, hit the, the moon shot off Strickland. Yeah, he had a couple of them. Yeah. <laughs> he crushed. But, so I, I and uh, I love I love, I love, love Bryce Harper. I think he's he's uh, great for baseball. He's He's got an MVP case this year, by the way. Mets he didn't even make the that. all-star team. And no, I'm telling you, nobody like is talking about him, which is very not Bryce Harper-like. Well, now they're taught his odds for MVP went up like all the way up to, I think, like plus 400 from like did plus you, 2,000 in five days. Did you see so, this in Atlantic City during your trip there? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I like to dabble in a little bit of game. Responsibly, <laughs> I like it. Responsibly. But he, he crushed the ball in that series and... I think we gave Madison Bumgarner the only loss of that whole entire playoff run. Because I was 14, so he went to the World Series Game 7. Uh, yeah. the, we beat him because he fielded a bunt and tried to throw the guy out at third in San Francisco where the 
and they threw it away and we oh, scored right. and that was, and that, yeah. <laughs> so it was like unearned runs against Bumgarner, and then he went the next like 200 innings in the playoffs and didn't give up a run and put the team on his back well we got one so we got one yeah, I mean, one. that was back when the Nats had that NLDS curse. I feel like every year they were in it, every year they went to Game 5, and every year they went home. Uh, so they uh, got over that hump in 2019, thankfully. But, yeah, so that's uh, the, the uh, our little outline there for our, our segments and I stuff love like it. that. We also I get on a do, tangent. Uh, you got to keep me – you got you to no, crack the whip. Jer- people – the people love the Jerry Tangents. <laughs> they want to hear about my random, yes, random they stories. they want to hear about your okay. experiences. That's why you're here, baby. Come on. Done. We also want to do something called Mets Fan Tweet of the Week. So if you guys didn't see our socials already, uh, we're at Shea underscore station on Twitter. You should definitely consider tweeting at me and Jerry. We're very active on Please Mets do. Twitter. We love interacting with, I don't want to call them fans, just fellow Mets fans, you know, our, our people. So uh, if you got something funny to say, hot take, whatever like that, we'd love to pick it out, highlight it, and talk about it on the show. So if you're hearing that now, you know, chef something up for us during this series. If you get, if you got a thought that comes to you, I'd love to hear about it. I'm sure Jerry would too. I'm all show. for it. Hell Hit yeah. me up. I'm usually pretty interactive on Twitter, especially, you know, during that series in Philly. Some some yeah. fans were ready to to and end to some, some things. Fans off the ledge, for sure. And I, you know, I just want to bring that positive energy out there and be like, you know, I do believe. I think we're I think we're a great team. I think the front office has done a great job putting together this roster. And it's time for this roster to start producing. As yeah. McCann said, there is a sense of urgency and it starts this series. The pressure is on. So it these is next on. three days, they're going to be big. And then the obviously the West Coast road trip after that, mm-hmm. uh, just as huge. But I think, ladies and gentlemen, that that is all we have for you on this episode, this inaugural first episode of the Shea Station. This was so I much love fun. love it. I still can't believe this I had a great Jolly. Well, this was what, a, what a pleasure to be able to share some time with you, Jolly. Absolutely, man. Truly, truly Jolly. Mutual. But yeah, Jer, that was awesome. Thank you, sir. So uh, for those listening, uh, we are live on all socials. You can find us uh, at Shea Station on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, pretty much anything you can think of. Um, We really appreciate you listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, maybe leave a rating on Apple Music if you're listening there or just some positive feedback to us. We're always, you know, looking to improve and stuff like that. Uh, Make sure the people get what they want. We'll be going uh, for uh, taping episodes at the end of every Mets series. So you'll you'll be hearing uh, from us again on Friday after the Nats series closes. And we're going to follow that schedule through the end of the season into the offseason. So uh, look forward to that. Thank you for listening. For John Boy Media, this is Jolly, a.k.a. Jack. This is Jerry Blevins, a.k.a. Jerry Blevins. Very nice. And uh, we will see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go Mets. Very nicely Dang. done, Jack. Gosh, that was fun, like- man.